Okay, this is on, right? <clears throat> we'll, we'll start with prayer and you can help me. Um, I know we didn't meet last week and I can't remember if I said all the wise things last week that I meant to say. So I'll check with you and then we'll see where to start. Father in heaven, thank you for the day, your grace, your constant presence with us. We're just grateful, Lord, that you, you are God and you promised that you wouldn't leave or forsake us. Guide us, we pray, this evening as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, I think looking at my notes that we finished um, the ninth chapter. Um, is that correct? Okay, because I um, I wanted there were some things in the um, well it, for one of a just using the word that's here the curse that Noah put on to Canaan son of Ham. Um, I couldn't remember whether whether we went through that sufficiently or not, but apparently if, if you think we did, then we're fine. <clears throat> um, how many of you had a chance to look through um, chapter 10 and 11 if you were really diligent? That, so <laughs> mainly I was hoping that there'd be some razor hands that they not only went through 10, but they memorized every single one of the names that are here. Um, <clears throat> in a minute, when we get there, I'm going to give you a map that's going to show some of the um, immigration, if you want to call it, that goes on here. Part of it is repeated in the 11th chapter. But here in the 10th, um, you have partial genealogies of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. And some, um, when I say partial, if you, if you do take the time to read through uh, these lists of uh, descendants, it's impossible to follow, okay, virtually. Because let's say uh, so-and-so has five sons. It'll name maybe all five of them. Then it'll, it'll say, and the children of two of them were so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and, and you never get any further word on the three that weren't mentioned. Um, I don't know the reason for that other than often um, maybe one possibility is no one of note um, came out of that particular line. They were not maybe great um, people that lead that were leaders or you know whatever so they they were not they didn't get honorable mention but it's very hard to figure out some of this and that's partly behind um, the difficulty in dating things in especially the Old Testament because <clears throat> a lot of the dating or the counting of years is figuring out an average genealogy length and then you know counting the the generations if you have 10 generations and you figure that a generation is about 28 years or 29 or whatever then you got 290 years but who knows if you're right about that um, it could be longer or shorter and there could have been um, plenty of the um, genealogies just have gaps um, even some of the ones in First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles of the kings, they will maybe one of them will skip um, a generation. The other one might mention it. So there's a lot of difficulty in trying to figure out um, anything close to accurate um, dating. At any rate, <clears throat> um, now in verse two. 
we begin with Japheth. Now, there's a little bit of question. It's not the end of the world by any means as to who was the firstborn. Um, in, in the order in which it's recorded in Scripture, which often means um, that the, maybe the birthright was changed, it's Shem, Ham, Japheth, almost always. Um, down in verse um, 21, there's, it says, To Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, and the older brother of Japheth, children were born. There's a footnote here in verse 21 under older brother Japheth that says, I'm looking at New American Standard, that says, or of Japheth the elder brother. So um, it's difficult to know, but most people believe Japheth was the firstborn and the eldest, um, and that many believe Shem was the youngest. But it, it's, you know, it's obviously not something that we're laying awake night worrying about. <clears throat> Sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras. Okay, now you'll notice the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz and so forth. Sons of Javan, who's not the next in that list, um, are listed here. From these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Now, um, this I don't even, I'll mention it, but. Clearly, Moses, of course, is, by all accounts except for liberals, the author of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Okay? Um, it's clear that Moses was writing post all of these events. And a comment like um, verse 5 is, indicates a later writer. Moses, he's writing um, a thousand years or whatever later. Okay, so some of these, you know, they're, they're referenced back um, with current information in mind. Okay. <clears throat> now, then the next sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And then we'll stop there, or we'll skip that. Um, and then we go down to um, 15, where you have, they keep following through with Ham's genealogy, but going to Canaan, who was um, his youngest son. Then you go down to 21, where you have the genealogy beginning of Shem. Now, um, I think maybe I'll just go ahead and pat, give you these this map now. Um, I tried. I think you can read it. It's it was smaller, and um, I got Pam to do her best to make it a little larger. Um, if I can, here, Mike, if you could help me, and I'll I'll get a couple. Um, going here let me just give you a couple you can pass them down if we run out I'll get them to you yeah you're going to run out thanks <clears throat> Everybody got one? Anybody need one? <clears throat> okay, this is roughly, um, this obviously you can see here is uh, not a world map, um, but it's the whole um, Eastern, Mid-Eastern world. Um, and these of course are approximate. Um, you have here the light color, 
which is the most of the Sinai Peninsula, up through Palestine, up into what is uh, through to what's today Syria, up into Turkey, or t today's um, nations. Those are generally the descendants of Shem, okay? Ham is um, quite, uh, quite a large area. Uh, Palestine, and then <clears throat> over into um, the Arabian Peninsula, and almost all of Africa, and there's some thought of over into, um, you know, further over into Asia, India, so forth. And then the dark, the red, um, Japheth, okay? Now, another, um, uh, a huge problem here is um, when you come to these, a lot of the nations that are mentioned, don't, they don't go by those names anymore. And some of them are so ancient that there is a lost record as far as what they became. We can uh, approximate where these are, but this is just, this is general, okay? So, um, <clears throat> what we'll, what we'll look at is a couple things. One, you'll notice that of these three heads of races, um, Japheth, Ham, Shem, there's way, way, way more nationalities that f flowed from them. When we think, for instance, when we think of Shem, and that's where we get the, the phrase Semites, all I think of are Jewish. You know, I, okay, that's the, that's the Jews. Well, there, there were scores of nations that came from Shem. Um, lots of na different nationalities are Semites, okay? Um, you'll notice that all of the land of Palestine, which was involved in the conquest of Canaan, which, again, you'll notice, is named after Canaan. Um, the Jebusites, the, the, yeah, the Hittites, the Hivites, the, uh, all, all these people, all, um, were Ham. We think of Ham, just Africa. But there's a huge swath of land that was populated. So um, the descendants of Ham are, is a massive amount of nations, different people groups, and with physical characteristics that differ. So there's, there's a, well, if you're going to have today, you know, the thought we have to recognize, there are seven, well, I read the other day where we just topped over eight billion people, okay? Absolutely every single one of those eight billion came from three, three men. Shem, Ham, Japheth, okay? So obviously it's way more than one people group that came. However, at least with um, the Semites, a principal one are the Jews, okay, that God selected um, through whom to bring the Messiah, which is why there's that emphasis um, spotlight on them. Now, we'll go back up to um, 8, verse 8. Um, and we're told about this um, descendant, Cush. Um, now, Cush is a brother of Canaan, um, oldest son of Ham, apparently. And he has, in verse 8, he became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, uh, a proverb, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Land of Shinar, by the way, is the land today. That's in Iraq. 
Shinar is, the, uh, is a great plateau, a great plain that is at the, um, well, it'd be the northern end of the Arabian Sea um, and the Persian Gulf that we call it today, okay? Now, um, no one knows, it's interesting to read about him, um, most, in fact, I think virtually every commentator looking at the original language here, I think it's almost unanimous agreement that this Nimrod guy, by saying he was mighty and a mighty hunter, is not complimentary. Um, the, some of the roots of his word or of his name and some other things said of him are that he was a mighty rebel before the Lord. He, he was um, an authoritarian, despotic, um, tyrannical kind of a um, marauder. And he subdued peoples, built cities, um, but was a ruthless, by the words, a ruthless kind of a person. So this is not someone that we admire or hope our sons grow up to be like. Okay. Um, at any rate, he's here because of his importance in founding, among other things, um, Babel. And then it says, from that land, he went forth into Assyria. That would be that he left. Um, if you've got your map, just you know, look at the uh, northern tip of the Persian Gulf. He would have gone up the probably the Euphrates rather than the Tigris, but those two uh, those rivers that you can see that are a little bit blurry um, up in the northern part of the Arabian Peninsula. Um, he traveled northwest and ended up, you can see there, Asher, if you're looking at that map. He, in that territory, and it's not on this map, but he established the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, of course, is mentioned frequently in the Old Testament. Kingdom of the, uh, or you know, capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians carried the northern ten tribes of Israel off into captivity, and they also came against the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, they were very uh, threatening group. Um, even Hezekiah, king of Judah, ended up agreeing to pay tribute to Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria who came against um, Jerusalem. Nineveh today is, of course, still there. Much of it ruins, but, you know, it's still actively inhabited. And the name of it today, this is, here's some trivia. We'll see how well you, you guys have, you know, read up. Um, what is, what's the name of Nineveh today? Anybody know? Mosul. We hear that. Um, we heard that a lot, you know, in the Iraq war. But Mosul is um, across the river, um, but, uh, but on both sides um, of the Euphrates, on the side of what was once Nineveh. In fact, it was, it was only, oh, I don't think it's been but a couple, three years, not very long at all, that Nineveh had an ancient uh, tower, pillar, uh, they, they had built, they, and they called it the Pillar of Jonah, um, you know, in memory of Jonah's preaching in Nineveh, where the, really, you had the greatest revival, I think, recorded ever. Um, but at any rate, um, because of that slight connection um, with Israel, and a prophet from Israel and the Judeo-Christian scriptures, the, I don't know who was, which, whichever terrorist group, blew it up. And that's only been, I, 
I doubt it's even three years ago, if anybody remembers reading it. Um, but at any rate, that ancient and always important city, this guy um, Nimrod founded. Um, so that's all we hear about him. He's just this is the only place he's mentioned. Uh, and sometimes you wonder what, what's the purpose other than um, if there isn't any necessarily spiritual purpose, um, there is the correct history. Um, the Bible is a trustworthy document of history. Let me give you a, a little quick um, proof of that. When Sennacherib came against Jerusalem, um, uh, Hezekiah was the king. He did not surrender the city. Uh, Sennacherib said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to bash the walls down and you're all going to, you know, I'm going to skin all your hide and all this kind of stuff. And you hear it in Isaiah. And Hezekiah, he wrote it to Hezekiah in a letter. Well, Hezekiah went up to the temple and he took that letter with him and he unfolded it and spread it out and said, Lord, read that. That's what this guy says he's going to do to us. We're scared to death. We don't know what to do. Well, God didn't speak to Hezekiah directly. He, he said to Isaiah, go talk to Hezekiah. Go tell him that none of this is going to happen. <laughs> He says he's going to come against the city. He's going to build a siege mound. And he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And he said, I will make, God said, I will make him hear a rumor. And he will return to his own country. Okay. <clears throat> so they came, the Assyrians, camped all around about Jerusalem. And... The Lord, it says, one night went out, sent the angel of the Lord, and smote 185,000 of his soldiers. And it says when they got up in the morning, the few that were left, there were just nothing but tents full of dead people. Um, then he went home. <laughs> he decided that he would go home. And he went back to Nineveh. And he went into the house of the God that he worshipped, and his two sons assassinated him. Okay? Now, so God took care of that situation. But for, I don't know, probably a couple hundred years, when what was called higher criticism of the Scripture coming out of Germany and German philosophy began in the mid-1800s, um, all these questions about the scripture and well this is inaccurate and we're, that's inaccurate and they would go with they would always basically they didn't trust the bible at all only if they the bible was backed up by a secular archaeological proof they would grudgingly say well maybe on that they're right but in general you know they're not the he the the scripture says that Sennacherib came a couple times against Jerusalem. At one point, Hezekiah agreed to give him, I, it was 300 shekels of silver, and I think it was a year, I'm not, per year, whatever. Um, and it, that would be, you know, then he'd go home. And it was a demand Sennacherib made. Give me that and I'll leave you alone. Pay tribute. So Hezekiah agreed to it. Well, Bible scholars for maybe a hundred or more years denied that. Ah, it didn't happen. There's no record of that anywhere. I don't know why they were that worked up about it, but they just were. Um, and so there still are things being discovered archaeologically. Um, and they managed to find a, in Nineveh a a house, well, not a house, it, was a, it would have been a bureaucracy building of the government filled with clay tablets of government records. Um, you know, the ones, in, the ones in Nineveh were the ones left that weren't at Mar-a-Lago. Um, 
Anyway, so they started going through all of these thousands and thousands of clay tablets with the mundane, you know, billing and who paid what and what motion, you know, somebody did this and did that. And lo and behold, they discovered clay tablets that recorded that Sennacherib had demanded 300 shekels of silver per year from Hezekiah in Jerusalem, in Judah, and there was the record right there of when he paid and so forth, okay? Um, I, and God doesn't seem to be in a huge hurry. He let decades and decades and decades of guys come along and teach class after class of budding ministers that the Bible's not true because of such and such. But then he just kind of slips this under the door and we find out these guys been lying the whole time and they don't know anything. Um, so at any rate, and by the way, I saw some of those clay tablets the very ones that they discovered that discussed this in the um, British Museum in London. Fascinating to look at these. There were some big ones, and then there were, they had these cylinders that were, that, you know, were clay cylinders, quite small, really, writing. Um, and they were made such that you could, well, I couldn't read it because it was a foreign language, but you, they would also roll them on, on wet clay and make, so that was their Xerox, you know. Um, that's how they made a copy of it. Um, anybody, this is extra credit too, anybody remember what Jesus said at the triumphal entry when the Pharisees and the scribes said, shut these people up? Yes. If you make them be quiet, the very rocks will cry out. Archaeology. Yeah. This is also when uh, you start changing from uh, Hebrew to Aramaic. It's yes. Like, yeah. From a wall, he says, don't speak to us in Hebrew or everybody else. Yeah. Can hear. Speak in Aramaic where only the rulers of Israel can hear us. And then when they come out of the captivity, it's like they, it says half the children spoke the language of didn't know the language of Judah. Exactly. So, so some here. <clears throat> Yeah. So, <clears throat> anyway, um, you have the beginning. And by the way, there's somewhere in the neighborhood, um, and again, some of this is, these are estimates, but that Abraham was in his 50s when the Tower of Babel was left off building. We'll get into that in the next chapter. Shem was still alive um, for, I think, uh, until Abraham was about 40. Um, that's, so even though, but Shem lived um, somewhere around 500 years after the flood. He was a total of 600 years. So when you have, meanwhile, and we'll see in the next chapter, if we ever get to it, the, the nosedive of the ages of individual people. Um, so at any rate, the distribution of people had begun, which was the command that God told Noah and his three sons when they got off the ark. He said, don't, you know, basically, don't stay in one place. You scatter and you cover the globe and you repopulate the earth. Well, it appears that <clears throat> um, well, there's one more verse I want to look at in, in 10. But it appears that fundamentally they disobeyed that command. That leads then eventually to the, the building of the Tower of Babel and then God confounding their language and so forth. Um, when we finish up here um, in verse 15 of 10, Canaan's mentioned, became the father of Sidon. Now, everybody believe that's, believes that's the Sidon of Tyre and Sidon 
which is on the seashore of what's today Syria. It's north of um, Palestine. Um, then a lot of this doesn't click with us because we don't know. There's some names though here that we, or some regions that are still go by the same name. Verse 19, the territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon, which is still a name that's used, as you go towards um, Gerar as far as Gaza. Well, Gaza is still in the news. Um, down on the Mediterranean Sea Cor uh, coast south before you get to Egypt. Um, as you go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, um, that's, that would have been at the south end of the Dead Sea. These are the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their uh, languages, by their lands and so forth. Now, um, <clears throat> we go over to, we start with Shem's, uh, a, an abbreviated um, genealogy in verse 21. And notice, um, for instance, verse 23 the sons of Aram, now this is a couple generations into Shem. Sons of Aram were Uz and Hull and Jether, if however you want to pronounce it, and Mash. Plenty, lots of grandchild and child names here if you want to, you know, um, read through this. I've always thought of Mayor Shalal Hashbaz, which was um, <laughs> one of Isaiah's <laughs> children. That, that'd be a good one. Um, but... This, most people believe, the name of a person named Uz was where Job, he, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, okay? So there are familiar names here. Then we go to 25. Two, two sons were born to Eber. Now, a lot of people think that Eber is the root word for what became Hebrew. There's some that differ um, but at any rate um, for two sons were born to Eber the name of the one was Peleg which means division for in his days the earth was divided and his brother's name was Joktan okay now um, anybody ever run across that verse before seen that what is your what 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 do you think that means Yes. Uh, it's always going to either be maybe when the continent split, or it could be just there was great political unrest, you know, and they were divided. Uh, okay. A fun thing to think about. Obviously, the flood would have had great geological stress on things, and maybe in, in his time it just kind of fell apart. Out of yeah. Time. Yeah. So it'd be the two positions are um, possibly as a result of the divisions over the language at the Tower of Babel or political um, starting to solidify into family, na you know, nation families. Um, the other, that it was a physical, delayed physical result um, of the flood and the literal division of the earth with separating of continents or, or whatever. Um, interesting, interesting to see that most people, most um, Bible scholars, and I'm talking conservative here, which um, of course there are some current ones, but you have to go back to the, you know, the Matthew Henrys and the Adam Clarks and the Al Barnes and a lot of people. Um, they, the majority of them believe it was a physical, that the earth a result of the complete destruction of the earth, it was part of maybe there's some cataclysmic, you know, kind of eruption or earthquake or whatever um, occurred. Nobody knows for sure. But at any rate, um, it's obviously not a heaven or hell issue. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now, 11. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. The literal term, literal word is the same lip. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, 
If you look back at your map that I gave you, if you go, um, if you go from the Persian Gulf and you follow the Tigris and Euphrates and you get up there, do you see the word Asher? Everybody see that? I don't, I don't see anybody nodding their head. Okay. If you then go just straight north, okay, up to what would be the eastern or the right-hand tip of the Black Sea. Are you there? If you then almost split the difference between that tip of the Black Sea, go straight across, um, maybe slightly down, but straight across halfway to the Caspian Sea, in there are the mountains of Ararat. And that's where the ark settled. And sometimes there's um, been, you know, some misunderstanding. A lot of people will talk about the mountain or Mount Ararat. Um, there's one today that I think has been named that, but it's, it's been a range. It's a mountain range. It's, there isn't like, a, that's the Bighorn Mountain. It's the mountains of Ararat. It's a range um, now. And the assumption has always been, well, the highest one there. And supposedly, if you take the highest one, it's at 16,000 feet. That's a, that's a high mountain, okay? But that isn't necessarily the case at all. Um, I did read some stuff today where people were talking about, and they had some map and they showed Ararat, Mount Ararat, not mountains, and um, Everest. Ararat's highest in that range, 16,000, 29,000 with um, Everest, okay? And they were trying to calculate how high the water on the earth was in the flood to cover up by 15 cubits the highest mountain on earth which was you know is Everest okay now I don't think I'm a heretic and I, do, I think we can um, this won't matter whether you go to heaven or not I don't even think there were any mountains before the flood I think it was flat, wrapped in a an, um, kind of an aquatic um, mist, cloud, whatever. You had a hothouse circumstance where we know today there are, um, there are tropical plants and animals found in core samples in the Antarctic as well as uh, in the Arctic, Siberia, and whatever, you have um, mastodons quick frozen with undigested tropical plants and flowers in their stomachs. Um, but for, I think, the mountains that were covered were brand new mountains that were um, a result of the breaking up of the crust of the earth with the fountains of the deep being opened and so forth. So, um, Let's just put it this way. I don't mean to be, you know, hard-hearted. The water is deep enough it did God's job, okay? Um, he didn't have to get enough water to be above Mount Everest by 30 feet. I don't think Mount Everest was even there. Um, the earth, I take Peter, and I think, he, I think there's a lot in it when Peter said the earth that then was was destroyed, and so it was destroyed. What we see here is not a new earth. God's going to make a new earth someday. But it's, it's a wrecked earth. And so technically, even as beautiful as it, it is, and we marvel at it, we're walking around actually in a, in a devastated landscape when you really think about it because he, he wrecked it. Um, now, anyway, so when it says they were moving east, it's obviously southeast 
because if you go back to the approximate place here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea of where the ark came to rest, um, over a period of time, and it's at least, oh, it's at least four, 400 plus 500 years after the flood, um, that there's a gradual migration, but it's southward and eastward so that they end up at the northern tip of the Persian, Persian Gulf. That's where Babylon's at and the ruins of Babylon uh, yet today. There, there's, there is a um, what looks like ruins of some kind of a tower that you see in any Bible dictionary book you might have. You look it up. And the Tower of Babel is a ruins, you know, mounds of sand and whatever around it, and a, a tall extension in the middle of it. Um, but a lot of ancient travelers, the Greeks, Alexander the Great, I mean, lots and lots of people have written in histories contemporary for them of the, of the remnants, the ruins of what they believed was the Tower of Babel, okay? So, I don't know why it's real common in the Old Testament, especially in the early books. Um, even up in the days of Ezekiel, um, God talked about, I'm going to bring people from the east, but the people that he brought were as far north as they were east. But at any rate, so this eastward migration was both east and um, south. Now, the plain of Shinar is just there at what we could say the west side, um, west and northwest side of the Persian Gulf, or the plain today that um, I think possibly could be what has been, what are they, well, I can't remember what they call it, but it's a massive, vast um, kind of wetland. Um, back in Sodom, Hus uh, Sodom Hussein's days, um, he sought to eliminate a genocide of all of the Shiite Muslims because he was a Sunni. And they dwelt in this massive marshland um, that was um, around the northern tip of the Persian Gulf. Um, so th that, that and north was called the Plain of Shinar. And that's where they seemed to settle in opposition to what God told them, scatter over the earth, populate it. And so they say, they journeyed toward the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said one to another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. So there was already, um, well, it just occurred to me, there was already probably the beginnings of the devastating effects of global warming. Um, because this tar is oil, okay? It's crude oil that bubbled to the surface and they used it because they didn't have the kind of um, rock that they could um, crush or whatever they did to make mortar, so they used tar, which was already on the surface. Um, you know, just polluting and, and killing everywhere. Um, so, they said, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, which is precisely what God told them to do. Um, and so they said, we're not going to do that. Even something, in a sense, I think you can understand here, even something that you would think is less spiritual Nevertheless, it didn't do what God told them to do. They rebelled because they didn't want to do it. Now, the thought that you have here is 
if we're looking at four, five hundred, six hundred years after the flood, um, the the catastrophe of the flood, which we can't even really describe, only set back sin for a period of time. They never cured anything. Now God already knew that, but I often think, oh, I tell you, Lord, wish you know, wish sometimes for the Old Testament days, you know, bolts of lightning come out, <laughs> you know, bodies everywhere. Um, it doesn't fix anything because here they are, right back, total rebellion. God had specifically told them overspread the earth and they said no we're not going to do it we're not going to be separated from each other and we're going to stay right here so yeah uh, oh, it's just interesting in Josephus's account of this in antiquities he says that they used tar from and the whole point was to build a tower big enough that if there was another flood exactly they would survive you know that the, trust God to, you know with his promise they didn't believe his promise at all there were generally two beliefs of the, re- the cause or the reason behind building this tower. One was a place to ascend, um, to get away from another flood, okay? The other one was that it was some kind of religious, you know, it was a temple. It was a, it was, it was a place of worship, and it could have doubled as both. Um, but that it had, you know, there's a lot of thought that there's the zodiac and worship of the heavens and so forth. Yeah. I won't, I won't keep talking. No, you hey, I, you're one, fine. One more funny one I saw was someone seriously proposing the idea that it was actually a rocket <laughs> to get to heaven, you know, in this. Yeah. Rocket. Hey, you, yeah, you, but believe it. You know what I mean? People, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and I don't mean to get off, but I'm going to get off subject, so I probably shouldn't say I don't mean to. Um, it's amazing the beliefs that certain people have that they, it's a lens through which they see everything. Now, you might hang with me here a minute. I probably looked at today 50 or 60 or 70, I don't know, of these kinds of maps, trying to figure out what shows what, you know, as best we can. Can we read it? Can we can we uh, get it bigger and still read it? Uh, does it show what you know all this? And I ran across four or five, maybe six maps that they would show even the New World, North America, South America, and so forth. And I noticed some of them they followed this same, maybe not the same colors, but. Japheth is uh, the northern part above the equator. Japheth is Europe, which, you know, um, Europeans and then North America and so forth. Um, And then you have Ham a lot along the equator, the Semites. Um, But I ran across some maps that showed all of North America and parts of South America Descendants of Shem, Israel. Okay? Now, anybody know why? (laughs) Yeah. That's a map made by some Mormon. And, And not only Mormons, but the much, much smaller sect um, of Anglo-Israelism or British Israelism. Um, it's an 18, mid-1800s invention. Um, and the theory is that the northern ten tribes of Israel that were carried off um, by Sennacherib, by the Assyrians, they talk about them being the lost, you know, the ten lost tribes. Okay, well, there's error number one. They're lost. <laughs> I mean, they were still named in the New Testament. Um, but anyway, so that's off right there. But they believe that the ten lost tribes carried off into Assyrian captivity migrated north and west 
ended up populating Europe and you know the Anglo-Saxons and then ended up coming over and populating North America. Okay, now you might think, well, okay, what's the big deal? Well, they then turn around and believe that we here in America are Semites. Thus, all of the promises to Israel, especially in times um, promises, apply to the country of America, or you know, the North America or whatever, um, because we're, we're Jews. Well, the same argument against that much smaller stream of thought is the same one against the Mormons. The Native Americans here um, were not Semites, okay? Um, they likely, you know, back when you had the older terms for um, races, Mongol um, probably came over Alaska land bridge, I don't know. Um, but at any rate, and went clear down into South America, those, um, that people group are not Semites, okay? But in these convoluted ways um, to achieve an end, like we're, we're really God's special chosen people now, um, it even works its way into the map. <laughs> um, if you know what you're looking at, you, can, you immediately you, lo you look at it and you say, okay, there's either British Israelism or probably the Mormons, okay? Anyway, um, now, here's what God did. Verse five, um, they had this single... Uh, language and God in and you know here there is to me it's kind of interesting how God I think God almost always uses um, what would I call it non-spectacular sensational ways of getting his will done now there are several that are quite spectacular but I would have thought of something probably much more intriguing than all he does is which is profound just confuses their language so when they come to work the next morning one guy's name one guy's word for hammer is another guy's word for something else that's all he had to do he just confounded their language forming them into language groups which would really supersede racial groups and so they scattered by language group and covered the earth um, now here's a little kind of a side theory um, and I think I've mentioned before so don't have to belabor it but we we are seeing um, I don't even know how much of a conscious um, we're conscious of it. But the human race has been striving maybe forever since the Tower of Babel to undo what God did at the Tower of Babel. And when, wherever you have a concentration of people, you pool depravity. The, the, you know, the large cities are just cesspools of depravity. That's one of the things. And they said, we want to make a name for ourselves. Um, instead of the Big Apple, it was the Big Babel or whatever. But God said, scatter, for a lot of reasons, populate the earth and so forth. But the main reason, I think, is separate depravity. Um, but we're at a place now with, I wouldn't know how to use it, but on my phone, you know, I can, you can have, get umpteen translations and we can we so we have managed to almost get our way get ourselves back to one language in the sense that we can communicate 
And we have, that's something that I think is different about the world scene today than any of the previous times in history when people have thought, boy, these got to be the last times. I'm not sure we are. I, I, no one knows for sure. If Listen, if the Son of Man knoweth not the day, I don't know. But this is different. It is global. It is almost instant. Um, some foul kind of notion or new just godless practice is around the world in three or four seconds. That's never been known before, except maybe the Tower of Babel, and God scattered them. But we've spent all these thousands of years managing to get back to where we're now almost able to globally pool our depravity. And so that's one thing that does make me think the times that we look at today are, I think, unique, peculiar in the traits we see. Um, so God scatters them. Verse 8, over the face it says, of the whole earth they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language. And the word just means confuse, confound. Now we have a repeat of the records. But the purpose in this um, repeat of the um, descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth is now different. In the previous chapter, it's where the populations scattered and where they went in on the globe. This is funneling it down to Abraham. And we start in verse 10. These are the records of the generations of Shem. And you end up over in um, verse uh, 32, 31 and 32 at the end with Terah, the father of Abram. And I, let's see here. I think this is also one that's not on this um, map. But if you go, um, well, just continue up uh, above the word Asher to Eber. Um, and then if you go not very, you go north, but a little bit west, um, one of those rivers up there between Eber and the south of the Black Sea um, is the city of Haran. Um, that's where um, Abraham and his father Terah and Lot they traveled from roughly the tip of the Persian Gulf and followed the Euphrates and Tigris up um, halfway between um, Eber and the Black Sea. And from there, God told Abram, after his father died, go into the land of Canaan. And so he... It was a very long route that they took. He travels almost due south then with um, Lot and with his wife Sarah, or Sarai then, um, and comes down into the Palestine. Okay? Now we'll quit. Um, we'll kind of sum up a few things next week, but I don't know if we um, have enough for a full lesson we got two two wednesday nights after this so we can go ahead and start on what we're going to look at with christian ethics um and there's there's an awful lot of what do we do in this case questions that we can ask ourselves um, when it comes to ethics it there was a um there was a book couple books had similar titles I can't remember I think Charles Colson wrote one of them and Francis Schaeffer may have written another one back in the 80s um, how should we then live that's a wonderful question and that's really what we're doing how should we then live as Christians living in a, as a we are citizens of a different kingdom 
and we're living in a temporary kingdom, our citizenship is in heaven, how do we then live here? Making a mark for God, but keeping this world from making a mark on us. And so that's really the thrust of Christian ethics, is how do we live in this world that's no friend to God? Okay, any last thoughts, questions before we go? Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you wrote enough down in your book that we, we understand how you work and what you did and what you said, what you commanded, how you responded to rebellion, and we can see your hand. And Lord, I also thank you for um, just the right timing and the right kind of proofs that you bring to the surface to verify your word. You are a trustworthy historian, and you are the God of truth. So I thank you for the scripture that we have and that we can rely on it. Keep us, I pray, as we make our way home. Keep us safe. Give us, I ask, a good holiday season here, too, that we would somehow escape all of the mayhem of the world and remember what you did for us in sending your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you are dismissed.